Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Writers on Film, the only podcast dedicated to books on cinema. Hello everybody, welcome to Writers on Film, my name is John Bleasdale, I am a writer and film critic and today I have the privilege of talking to Meg Gardner who alongside film director and writer Michael Mann has written a sequel slash prequel to the hit classic heist movie Heat. Heat 2, which is out now everywhere, is a stunning sort of extrapolation of the characters and the situations to tell us a much broader, much bigger story than the original Heat. It's a fascinating read, really exciting, works as, on its own as a novel, but also obviously the, the main sort of attraction of it is the way it's going to extrapolate and enrich our, our enjoyment of the original film. And hopefully, uh, you know, there'll be another film uh, to follow up if you enjoy uh, the episode please remember to like subscribe and do all those things that um, everybody encourages everybody else to do I don't know if you need my encouragement anymore really but there you go you can follow me on twitter at Dr. Jonty, d-r-j-o-n-t-y but before you do any of that just enjoy the conversation was a thriller reader <laughs> from the time I was a kid. Uh, always wanted to be a writer. I took quite a few um, detours along the way to 
put food on the table. I, I went to law school, practiced law in Los Angeles. I taught at the University of California. Um, had three kids, uh, and when our family, my husband's job was transferred to London, mm. and um, from California. And uh, when we were living there, and all the kids were, as you say, out of nappies, uh, and I finally had a chance to um, put my uh, money where my mouth was, and uh, and started writing. And I've never looked back. So, how long uh, we? How long were you in London for? long enough that we're now UK citizens. All oh, right. So you're still in London. No, I'm in Austin, Texas, but I'm a, I'm a UK US dual citizen. So we were there for 19 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, we lived, yeah, we lived in uh, Surrey, um, basically. So yeah, and you're in you're in Italy now. Though. Yeah, I'm 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 in Italy uh, for 20 years now. So yeah, and then say, similarly, dual citizenship. I'm I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very better clean. weather. <laughs> Oh, it's so so much better and so much better the food as well. The food. <laughs> I mean, England is not as bad as people make out in terms of food, but no, not at all. But and it has improved radically over the last couple of decades. So, oh, absolutely! Yeah. I remember growing up in the seventies, and spaghetti bolognese was considered like exotic. It was like, woo, exactly. you know. <laughs> get you with your yeah. <laughs> right um and what um, what are you doing in austin are you uh, are you working or are you living in austin now we live in austin uh, we mm. repatriated my husband's uh, job came here and so i can work anywhere in the world <laughs> so i'm 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 writing full time and uh, have been doing that here there everywhere for basically 20 years now yeah wow well and the, the benefits of being a writer is you know have laptop will travel precisely and strangely you find out that trains and well it used to be trains had no wi-fi so that you could get a lot of work done on them and still planes if you uh, if you make an effort you can get quite a bit of work done on a on a flight so uh, as long as you tell yourself that you're going to do it it's fine it's really a privilege to be able to do this so no complaints whatsoever yeah absolutely absolutely so when it's like when it's a sunny day and i can take my ipad outside with my little keyboard on my ipad and just do a bit of work outside right right makes it all worthwhile Mm -hmm. and and so um you said you got into thriller writing as a uh you know as a reader as a fan who were you sort of who were you the, the people who you sort of aspired to when you when you first started well, I didn't know I was writing thrillers when I first started. Mm. I thought I was writing suspense or maybe mystery. I was uh, a huge fan of um, Sue Grafton, James Lee Burke, Elmore Leonard, Carl Hyacin, um, Stephen King. Uh, uh, I loved the the big Ludlum thrillers from the from the seventies and eighties and nineties as well. So I wanted to just write huge stories uh, with life and death stakes. Or you could put the pedal down. Uh, you take readers on a roller coaster ride and get their hearts pounding because that's what I loved as a reader. And uh, so I wanted to. Also, I was total crap at writing romance or science fiction or anything else. <laughs> yeah, the the what not to do as well as a what to do is uh, is kind of an important element of choosing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm not very interested in this, so I won't go for it. That's, uh, <laughs> but that, those sound like some that, some great inspirations as well. Um, a lot of those are on my reading list, definitely, of uh, mm. 
uh, of some of my favorite writers. So how did you then uh, uh, get this opportunity or this um, chance to to write uh, a sequel to Heat? Well, well, actually, first, what's your relationship to Heat the movie? Have you, did you see it? Uh, when when did you first see it? I can't even remember anymore. That it's, mm. it just seems like it's always uh, always been in there that, uh, you know, I've been a, a fan. Of, I can tell you, I've been a fan of Michael Mann's work since uh, high school, essentially, probably that uh, all his television work, um, his movies, Manhunter, Collateral, uh, Heat, of course, um, Miami Vice, Crime Story. Uh, I, I was just always blown away and sucked into the worlds that he created as the stories, the drama, um, the action, the, the the love, the the longing, the tragedy uh, that he was just a, a master that I always knew that I would uh, sit transfixed watching anything that he had written um, and directed. So I um, uh, we have the same literary agent. Uh, so when Michael started talking about writing uh, a sequel, a prequel and sequel to Heat. Mm. Um, he had read Unsub, which is one of my more my recent novels, and uh, wanted to talk to wanted to talk to uh, to me because I have experience writing stories in the form of prose of you know 100, 120,000 words. Mm. He's an extraordinarily accomplished writer. Um, all his work had been until now um, for screen and television. So uh, writing screenplays um, is a different discipline than writing novels. So he he had collaborated quite a bit, but I had never written a novel. I had written a lot of novels, but had not collaborated. So we uh, we just start we started talking about the possibility that uh, that we could work together to um, to bring his vision of this um, opus to life, really. And uh, it went really well, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> So did he have like uh, some sort of core ideas that he 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 wanted heat to 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 be and then or 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 how how did you how did you develop the story? Uh, absolutely. Uh, I presume many of your listeners are familiar with heat, which is in yeah. my mind the greatest uh, heist drama ever uh, filmed. and uh, it is an extraordinarily intense. Uh, action drama set over a period of a very few weeks in Los Angeles in 1995 mm. and uh, about a crew of Highline bank robbers led by Neil McCauley, Robert De Niro's character, um, and the relentless, brilliant uh, homicide detective who is on their trail, uh, Vincent Hanna, played by Al Pacino, and their their uh, their um, their collision, the the way the drama explodes uh, into a, a, a running gun battle on the streets of Los Angeles when the bank robbery uh, goes wrong, uh, their their deadly showdown at the end, and um, there's a reason it's a, it's become a classic, and it's just you know the drama, the action, the 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 ability to love characters on all sides of the law in that movie um, makes it so memorable. And again, it, Michael's called it a splinter of time in these mm. characters' lives. 
this very this very uh, intense um, you know collision of these uh, of these um, two groups. Excuse me. <clears throat> And he had always, uh, he knew where the characters had come from in his mind for, for ages. He had known where they, who they had been, how they became the people they were in the film. For the film, he had written extensive biographies of all the major characters. Uh, Hannah uh, McCauley, Chris Chihurlis, the Val Kilmer's character. And not because he planned to put any of that in the film, but so that he could give it to the actors uh, so that information would inform their performances. Uh, mm. and, but he had all this material and these stories of where the, who these people were and how they got to be. And he wanted to exploit that. He wanted to, uh, to bring it to life uh, in, in, a, in a big story. And he also had foreseen, he had ideas of where, let's say the survivors of the film <laughs> might might go and how they how they might develop uh so he had really been been you know stewing with this for for years about wanting to uh wanting to blow out the world of the movie and tell more of uh more of the stories and i was just um thrilled by the possibility that he might like to work with me to have that uh, come to life daunted needless to say when uh, your icon calls you up and wants to talk <laughs> about <laughs> having you work with him uh, to uh, to uh, to bring iconic characters, people who are near and dear to his heart, to life, then uh, you take a, a, a little bit of a um, of a deep breath. And I realized I hadn't. I've always wanted to write a heist novel, and when would I ever have an opportunity to to write one that's that with the creator of the most iconic heist movie that, that I've always loved and uh, write more heists, write more chases, <laughs> write uh, more, more love stories and uh, loss and uh, take it back in time to uh, Chicago in the, in the eighties and forward in time to the, to the new millennium. So it was, um, it was, it, it, I knew it was going to be a huge project, um, and we talked about uh, making sure that I was the right person to to collaborate. Mm. Uh, that we that our skills and our ideas for the story could mesh in a way that would really bring his ambitions for the novel to life. Because the because this this really is uh, his story. He had um, the basics of the story already worked out when we first uh, when we first talked on the phone that uh, it, we that he wanted a big section set in Chicago where he was born and raised right and uh, uh, with uh, Macaulay's crew uh, early in their careers uh, living large very vivid taking down um, uh, very daring scores and uh, Hannah on the Chicago police force at the same time hunting a, a gang of home invasion um, killers essentially and uh, how they would uh, you know they would come close but uh, uh, tendrils would overlap and then the, the the score would lead to more scores the the chase would lead to uh, more chases and uh, then to go forward in time as well and figure out what happens to uh, to Chris, who is the uh, the last survivor of Macaulay's crew at the end of Heat? That's not a huge spoiler. After <laughs> I, I, 
I know that there there are there are, I know there are new generations of people who are seeing heat for the first time now because I was uh, went to a screening uh, recently where it was a packed theater right. full of mega fans, but also at um, turning points in the film you could hear gasps uh, in the in the theater or cheers uh, as and you realized what a huge percentage of people were coming to it fresh, which was really exciting as well. But um, you know, at the end of heat, Chris is nearly dead from a gunshot wound after this uh, battle with the LAPD. He's uh, he's desperate to escape the city. Uh, Hannah is hot on his trail. He knows that if he's going to going to uh, keep breathing and keep his family safe, he has to leave them. So uh, he is, you know, what's going to happen to him? He's 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 like down to uh, like his last drop of blood and. Um, is he going to, is he going to make it out alive and where, how will he ever um, keep going forward? So that became a propulsive element of the story as well. You can tell I'm still very excited by this story. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. loved writing it. <laughs> I was going to ask you, I mean, first of all, just one, one thing I, I, I wanted to say was when I first watched Heat, I saw it at the cinema and I, and I remember walking out and just thinking, yeah, it's good. You know, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> Not, nothing wrong with that. Great gun battle in the middle. And for ages, I sort of had that in my head. That's what it was. And then like four or five years ago, I rewatched it on Blu-ray. And I just thought, this film is from beginning to end an absolute classic. There's nothing in this that is is spare, you know? it's, it's Precisely. That, it's that weird thing that it's an epic with no fat, no flab at all. It's just protein and muscle the whole way. <laughs> Exactly, which makes it so rewatchable as well. You always pick up something new. The yeah. action always pops. Uh, you 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 marvel at the actors' performances. Um, you love the music. You love the soundtrack. You love the this just like beast of a story that is just like rolling forward like a runaway train. So. Um, how was I ever going to turn that down? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. What was the point point in the in the writing process where you you sort of felt that you could take ownership of the characters? Because I mean, as as you said, these are actors of iconic, and uh, I mean, I was one thing I I was thinking when I was reading your book was one of the big differences between films and literature is that in films, you can go the whole film and not actually even know the names of the characters. Do you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. it's De Niro and it's Pacino and it's, you know, Sizemore and <laughs> Kilmer. But when you're re writing a book, it's got to be the names and the descriptions and they've got to sort of be, sort of come out sharply. It, it you know, it's a iterative process you you have mm. to you have to try to gradually get inside the 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 skin of the characters fortunately michael and i had talked for ages about uh the characters themselves uh how he saw them who he thought they were and how they you know what drove them essentially how uh the, the cop and the robber are in some ways uh you know flip sides of the same coin as uh as Macaulay says in there, uh, when they have coffee, that uh, that that in Michael's mind, these two characters, Hannah and Macaulay, are the two completely conscious people in 
the story, that they know who they are, they know uh, what drives their lives, they have no illusions about, uh, about the world, and uh, they are fully conscious of what they want and where they're going to go and how they're going to try to get it. So knowing, um, hearing him talk about what, what drives these people was, was number one. And uh, he had, he had, you know, the character backgrounds, which was like just opening a treasure chest to, mm. to read the, the biographies he'd written for everybody. And uh, to, to hear him talk about how he saw the characters developing uh, was extremely helpful. But at some point I have to just take a leap mm. and uh, give it a go. And I mean, that was, you know, we, we talked, we sent emails back and forth. This was during um, the start of COVID. So we weren't able to, to get together initially and um outlines uh thoughts he sent me the script for heat the shooting script which was again extremely helpful because that revealed his his authorial voice michael's mm. his pure voice on the page which which again was was vivid and propulsive and the you know the dialogue was uh was terse but it just jumped at you and uh the, the action was so richly described that um that i knew that uh that the that the, that the book was going to be equally uh uh equally rich uh but i just had to i had to take a leap and say okay mm. i'm just going to write i'm going to how about if i write a few chapters and uh, see how it sounds to you. And um, fortunately, he liked what I sent him. So we were off to the races, as they as they say. But it took a long time, constantly during. Um, but this is the beauty of 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 writing is you can rewrite yes. <laughs> and rewrite. Uh, you know, send send off uh, send off a section and come back like you know the the uh, the story's right, but the the voice is is is, is not there. Uh, you, you're not inside their heads yet. So you know he would uh, come up with un his understanding of how each of the characters sounds. You know, Hannah is sarcastic and uh and verbose and can overwhelm people with uh, with his dialogue macaulay is terse if if one word will suffice that's what he'll use if 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 that's too much he'll grunt uh <laughs> that kind of thing so really getting um inside the 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 rhythm of each character's voice uh really really helped but it it, it took a while but I, I couldn't be hesitant um and you know Michael was there to, uh, you know, his, 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 uh, his, his dialogue is, uh, has always been great. So I had no, I had no fear that he could, uh, could turn in, um, you know, sterling prose, but, uh, but it, it was, uh, it was just, a, uh, it became a very, um, um, intertwined way of writing that, uh, we would, um, one of us would, would write a chapter or a section and swap them back and forth, uh, pages, paragraphs, uh, whatever, so that by the end, uh, I think every word had been hashed over, which is which is fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also that the, it, it it might be a bit of a cliche to start thinking about the subject of your book being analogous to the way of writing a book. You know, like or is organizing a heist like writing a thriller? and uh, is investigating a murder like writing a thriller i mean kind of that's a great that's a that's a great those are great questions i i had never thought about it that way um but uh, I, i'll have to take a look at that i mean yeah there's planning <laughs> <laughs> exactly there's, yeah uh, 
There's uh, there's recon. You have to do a recce, especially if you're planning uh, planning a heist or you're planning a surveillance of of people. Uh, you have to uh, try to see ahead, figure out what could go wrong. Uh, have you have you really worked out all the kinks in your story? Uh, have you have you thoroughly investigated how many exits there are to uh, to the to the freeway within a half within a half mile, so that uh, so that if one if one uh, if one getaway route is blocked, you can uh, you can still uh, uh, make it out. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's not a bad way to do it. So I think from now on, if I'm um, stuck or bogged down or tired of staring at my keyboard, I'll tell myself that I'm I'm really just um, laying on a score. <laughs> yeah, it's like the sort of the 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 murder writer who decides I've, I've thought of the perfect murder that I can commit. You know. <laughs> well, you know, people have tried that. Right. Right. <laughs> there was a woman. There was a woman who was just convicted of. of uh, um, she had written a murder mystery, something like how to kill your husband. And right. guess what <laughs> happened in real life? Oh my God. Uh, yeah. I remember I read that recently. Yes. That's... But um, yeah, she's, uh, she's not on the bestseller list. She's behind bars now. So. Oh no, that's a, no, no, not a, not a recipe for success. That's certainly the case. That was some, some. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Bits in Heat too that I really I mean, that I loved the whole thing. I was I it was so great to be back with these characters, and it was so great to to I think the the idea of the prequel sequel thing as well is is a really it, 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 you you can have your cake and eat it, you know. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I, I'm thrilled that you loved it. Thank you for mm. saying that. And um, yeah, I think the uh, going back and forward in time uh, worked out. Uh, terrifically, because it really matches the, as I said, the scope of uh, Michael's ambitions for the story. And uh, he was the one from the from the very start said that he did not want to write it chronologically, like mm. jumping back and then going straight forward to uh, to the end. He wanted to um, uh, interweave uh, different sections going back to Chicago in 1988, going forward to Paraguay in the late 90s, uh, uh, then back to uh, the U.S.-Mexican border, then forward to Los Angeles and uh, Southeast Asia uh, in the new millennium, which um, that was a, as a suspense writer, I found that really um, crafty mm, mm, yeah. and, uh, and fun. Mm-hmm. You're always keeping the 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 reader sort of um, on their toes, and and I think it's a challenge for a writer because you've got your your reader really engrossed in one strand, and then you've got to have the nerve to okay, we're breaking off from that. We'll see you in fifty pages. We're going off in this direction. 
Well, yeah, I mean, uh, again, that can, uh, you can use that to your advantage uh, to, um, to, to lead people up to a, to a cliffhanger and then leave them hanging there and launch another, uh, another storyline, another line of suspense. And you have to immediately uh, lure them into being as attached to the new storyline as, uh, as to the one that's, uh, that's still the thread that's still hanging so that they don't get frustrated with you. So, uh, you know, that's again, the beauty of, uh, of revision. You can make sure you've actually uh, left people at the hanging at the right moment and don't leave them waiting too long for, so that they start to forget or let that storyline cool off. But uh, um, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, one of the main characters who I think is, is uh, you kind of learn more about in a way that's surprising uh, in heat two, I think would probably be Vincent Hanna that he's, mm -hmm. there are certain things he does, which you might suspect he was capable of having watched heat but you, you know, there's there's no evidence. I, I remember, I think I read an interview with Al Pacino recently where he explained some of his, let's say, larger acting decisions. Um, uh -huh. In that he 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 had him and Michael had decided that uh, Vincent would be chipping cocaine throughout the film have you have you heard that, that i've heard it i've heard it in interviews with him saying that that in, in his yeah. mind that was uh, that right. was part of the reason that hannah can get so animated that uh in the film he's uh, he he likes to upset uh confidential informants or people he's trying to pressure by uh like bursting out with uh ridiculous uh surprising uh lines of dialogue and uh that it, the, it's the cops deliberate uh um, strategy to unsettle people to try to keep them guessing what what they need to tell him and keep keep talking to him but he had said that in his mind that uh hannah became um uh, quite animated because perhaps he was uh you know taking a little bit of, uh, of of coke here and there and so yeah the, the, the story goes back to the 80s and it was mm. the 80s and uh this had been in the in the biographies that michael had already written for the for the film that uh that hannah and it's mentioned very briefly in in heat that uh when when nate the the the, the fence and fixer brings a dossier to neil about hannah you find out that hannah you know he'd come from chicago he had uh he had uh, he'd been in the Marines. He had done all this stuff. So uh, Michael already knew that he was a veteran, and uh, you place it back into that time period. Uh, uh, we wrote the, the the story that Hannah had uh, had escaped his uh, small town childhood and enlisted in the Marines um, and found himself in Vietnam very soon at the Battle of Hue, where they had to stay awake for forty eight hours and. Uh, the government was happy to supply uh, to supply the troops with dextrin and uh, keep them awake and uh, in an urgent uh, state of mind. So that is the that's not a, that's not a spoiler to st in life or in the story to say that uh, Hannah recalls uh, recalls that. And then as he's um, as he's in uh, in a big city in the eighties, living the high life, 
Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he wasn't the only one. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And it blurs the lines even more. This is a not a uh, sort of, uh, you know, I mean, I was thinking of one one scene. Again, I don't want to spoil it just in case people haven't uh, haven't read, but there's another scene uh, uh, in Chicago where he, he blurs the lines in terms of a suspect that, or a, or a witness. Yeah. Um, no. Uh, I mean, as I said, Michael grew up in Chicago. He mm-hmm. had uh, was very close friends with a number of detectives on the Chicago police uh, force and heard a lot of stories about uh, of what their lives were like uh, working homicide and the attitude in the in the in the department and in the city government and 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 all of that. So he Michael was very clear to me uh, as a. Uh, we talked about the film and writing the story that Hannah does have a moral pull. Mm. He's uh, he's not a cop because he wants to protect and serve. Mm. This is, uh, that's not what drives him. It's the hunt. It's the chase. It's uh, as his wife tells him in the film, all you are is uh, what you're going after. Mm. That mm. this, this is what gives his life purpose and, and elevates his, uh, his, uh, his existence. Uh, but he does care for innocent people. He does have a sense that uh, the people have a right to live in peace, and that uh, that he's he is going to be stopping criminals. And the the worse the criminals are, the um, the less sympathy he has for them, shall we say? But um, he's also emotional, mm, mm. <laughs> and uh, that's all I'm going to say about uh, the scene you're referring to. <laughs> Good, good. So yeah, we I want, I want people to enjoy it as much as I did. So I don't want to. Uh, although I do think the idea of spoilers is sometimes exaggerated. I mean, when I watch a heist movie, I expect stuff's going to go wrong. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sitting there going, "Oh, I wonder if it'll make it." You know, it's like eh, probably not. Yeah, they just quietly walk in, hand <laughs> yeah. over the note, stroll out with a little sack, and just drive yeah. off to uh, ten minutes. We're done. The film's over. <laughs> What's going to happen with this Hamlet bloke? I hope he. I hope he has a nice time. <laughs> exactly. Um, one of the things that you you sort of had as as a, a kind of uh, a constraint, especially when you get well, well, particularly when you get to the second sort of timeline of the novel, is of course, as you've already said, you know that Chris is the only surviving member of the team. Um, how how. How was it sort of having Chris? Was there ever, ever a point where you thought, oh, I wish I had Mike instead, or I wish I had someone else instead? How was Chris as a character? How did, how was growing him? Because he also changes as well, doesn't he? He's, he's also the Chris that we get in the 90s is not necessarily the same Chris that we saw in Heat. Uh, exactly. Chris in the, in the film, he is... Uh... Uh, Macaulay's trusted lieutenant in the crew, uh, his, his essentially his number two, and we get the sense that they are very close, but we don't get a lot of their background. Uh, so, and and he's um, he's uh, he's he's a bit of a cipher sometimes in the film. Uh, uh, Michael described him as jumping Jack Flash, <laughs> that he's kind of a postmodern character that uh, that he. Um, uh, that he's not fully mature in the film, that he's uh, he's a mm. young man, he's very volatile, and uh, he's a screw-up. <laughs> he, when he's on the job, when he's doing crime, he is 
focused and sober and uh, professional and lethal if uh, if he has to be. As somebody goes home to his normal life, that 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 he screws everything up. He he takes this his cut of the score and he bets it on the Super Bowl. Uh, he so so he has then he has to pay off the bookies. Uh, he's a uh, uh, he loves to gamble. He um, he 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 love passionately loves uh, his wife who was played by uh, Ashley Judd, but he messes up with her. You know she would like uh, to, to, them to be adopting an adult life, and instead he's uh, he's blown it all in Vegas. So um, we get the sense that he uh, he can't control himself fully in the film. But if you're going to go forward with him in the in the in the in the story, you don't want him just to be the same. He can't be just the same person because that's that's not that's not interesting. And number one, how did I feel writing Chris? I I I loved it because um, uh, we didn't know that much about him in in the film. Uh, but which meant that there was so much to explore and discover and create about him. And if he's going to go, he, he ends up, uh, uh, being, uh, shipped out of the country and, and winding up in South America in Paraguay and, uh, thinks he's in a security job and, and finds out that he's actually working for a crime family in this, uh, anything goes, uh, wild east city uh, on the border with the with brazil and argentina and um realizes what's he going to do he's either going to waste away or he's going to turn himself into a new man uh, and that's the only way he'll ever get his family back that's the only way he'll ever survive and uh, he starts to see that the world is changing and uh, and he'd better change which change with it because otherwise he'll uh, he'll end up floating down the river uh, face down uh, but he, I would not, I would find a place where the, the, you know, the highest per capita murder rate on a continent to be a bit of a, a intimidating place to, to live. But uh, that's only among the crime, you know, the organized crime people are the only ones that are getting killed for business reasons. So he finds it completely freeing and uh, a place where he can become something entirely new if he is willing to uh to reshape himself, which uh, was a fun way to do it. And of course I had Val Kilmer in my mind the whole time as I'm uh, writing every page. So that's uh, always a wonderful thing. Yeah. I was going to say that's a side benefit. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the choice of Paraguay as a setting as well. This sort of um, this, this place that I don't know much about and this politics of crime that are going on, uh, which really felt like going into a new territory. How much, how, how, did, how much research did, were you doing there? Were you actually, did you go and visit and stuff? I did not, but Michael had been there. It's right. Ciudad del Este, which is on the on the border with uh, with Paraguay and Argentina. It's a shopper's paradise uh, for tourists. There's some beautiful national parks in the area. It's uh, it's a real vacation spot. It's a free trade zone, so everybody pours over the border into this into this city, and can get anything they want. Uh, which means that uh, um, all kinds of groups are there to sell anything they want as well, whether it's mm. uh, money laundering, uh, counterfeiting, uh, supplying uh, electronics to narcos and uh, rogue regimes, uh, uh, whatever happens. And Michael had been there when he filmed Miami Vice, uh, the the film, that, uh, that that's where the South American section of, uh, of Miami Vice is set. And he found the 
the the city absolutely fascinating and really a fertile spot to uh to set uh to set um uh, to set uh, to set the sections of the of the novel. I mean, I'm trying to picture most Eisley or you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, or Casablanca in the film, or the, the Wild West, um, where where everybody knows that these uh, that these uh, the people who own the malls may maybe uh, maybe may also be you know connected to Hezbollah or uh, Chinese triads or, but they are, you know, they're the city fathers and mothers. They are, you know, stalwarts uh, who, who, you know, give speeches at the, at the chamber of commerce lunches and take photos with the Bishop and the mayor. And they are, uh, everything is out in the open and above board and they're business people in, 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 in that, in that setting. So uh, as long as you're not afraid of violence and <laughs> as long as you put your life on the line, um, it's a, uh, it's wide open for someone like, like Chris, who uh, decides he's going to um, move into the 21st century. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's fascinating that transition as well that you have of, of sort of the more uh, high tech end of it comes into play as well. It was that's very realistic mm. that um, what was ha- you know thinking what was happening uh, during this time uh, that um, as Chris himself says that you know he realizes that he and he and his crew he and Neil's crew were they were the best at what they did as you see in in Heat they are they are experts they are burglars bank robbers uh, extreme professionals uh, technically sophisticated uh, brave and daring. But he said, was that what we were? It, it was like we were 19th century banditos and uh, the world is moving on. Uh, mm. <laughs> the Internet exists. Uh, you can grab things out of the air. You can make deals uh, from the backseat of your car while you're sit- looking uh, over over the waterfalls uh, in, in Paraguay and being, you know, doing a deal with someone in Indonesia or um, Algeria. And uh, the world is moving online and it's moving into uh, international crime. Yeah, yeah. And on, on that level, you've got sort of that level of high-end history and uh and villainy, um uh, or feral capitalism as 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 it feels like as well, you know. Ready. Absolutely. It Ready. is, it is. Like he there's several places where Chris the is described as a state of nature. Life, if you're not careful, life is nasty, brutish, and short. But yeah. uh, that means it's totally in his mind, that is a very freeing, exciting place to be. Um not yeah. all of us are that way. No, and then on the other side of the sort of criminal spectrum, you've got this uh, this terrifying character who is all he's he's the opposite of Neil in a way. He lacks control and he's a home invader. Um, how how is it writing those sections because they're so dark and they're so you know uh, is that something you sort of like you rub your hands and go okay now I can work out some issues or is it something that you're <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh- uh, a terrible villain in the in the novel is named Otis Wardell, and yes. he leads the home invasion uh, crew. And again, um, Michael, having grown up in Chicago, recalled uh, a, a terrible home invasion crew that was uh, running loose in the city when he was uh, when he was young. Right. And later talked to the um, to, to detectives about about the, the kind of things that these uh, that these robbers did. He, they call them bottom feeders. You know, they're uh, 
uh, a professional burglar wants to make sure no one's home when they go into to your house. Uh, there's no threat to them personally, then um, they can slip in and slip out. But uh, home invaders, uh, what are they going to do? They go they go in, um, they could be confronted with a, a guard dog, with, with someone with a gun. Um, they could be identified. Um, so they have other reasons than just material gain for for wanting to go in. It's there's uh, they're pretty psychologically messed up. Let's yeah. uh, let's say and uh, uh, Wardell likes to take control of all the crime scenes when he's when he's in there and uh, work out his uh, mommy and daddy issues on on the 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 people who who live in these homes and um, he becomes uh, an agent of chaos in uh in the entire story uh as he um he worms his way uh into the darkness and um and then finds out uh that uh that uh, that neil has been who, who neil is and that he has uh, pulled a huge score uh and uh, he starts thinking that uh, why should neil have all the fun and the money and mm. uh, so that leads to uh, a number of um uh of uh, intersections, let's say, in all the characters' lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fractures and, and, and smashes. I, I mean, the, one of the things that I found fascinating about his characterization, the characterization of his crew, was that, yes, he's this monster, he's this horrible monster, and, and I, it, you know, it, very uncomfortable to read some of those sections because you convey it so well, as they should be, as they should be. Yeah, um, the vi- violence is not is not pretty. Mm, uh, mm. It's it's It's... It shouldn't be gratuitous. It uh, shouldn't mm. go on at length, but um, it shouldn't be glossed over either. To uh, to to say why it why it hurts and uh, why the why why it needs to be stopped. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, well, I, I was just thinking of the, there's a, a brilliant sort of moment in which you realize that one of the the characters who's responsible for this horrible crime isn't actually Otis. It's actually one of the guys who you've been with, who you've been thinking, well, he's just a sort of hapless sort of, um, you know, he's, he's along for the ride, but he's, he's, he's not as, as evil. And then you sort of think, actually, this guy's pretty horrible as well. Maybe even more so because he's not so monstrous. You go along for the ride and you get convinced that the ride is, um, is okay. And uh, everybody surrounding you is telling you to uh, put the pedal down, so to speak, if I can <laughs> smash that metaphor to bits. <laughs> oh, feel free. <laughs> I mean, yes, absolutely. And, and it, it just but it just gives, uh, I think it just gives a much more uh, sort of broader, com- more complicated and more textured picture as well. You don't just have this evil and this good. You also have the people who, you know, there are shades of gray in there. Exactly. There's there's no one in the entire book uh, who's uh, who's entirely well. Otis is pretty pretty dark, but um, pretty much everybody else has uh, shades of, of of shades of gray, light and dark. But that's we want to make sure that everybody in the book is a real human being, mm. uh, just like just like we all we all are. Um, and that's what uh, what readers uh, or viewers audiences are are hoping for they don't want stick figures they don't this isn't a video game we want to uh feel like we're really um walking side by side with these people and that we uh care for them did you and uh, michael ever have a a, a, a f- not a falling out but a, a sort of argument about some point in which you you know you had to stand your ground we no, we never had an argument mm. um 
But again, that's uh, we we had we spent uh, we spent several months working out the story, mm. and uh, that was a that was a good time to really um, uh, hash out plot points, <laughs> uh, figuring out uh, who should, who might live and who might die and why. <laughs> uh, so if uh, if one of us cared about some a uh, turn of events, then uh, we could each make our case to to the other, uh, and. Um, Again, then um, no, we never we never argued about anything. We we really would uh, if if we saw things differently, we would uh, we would think about it and uh, talk it out some more and mm. uh, think about whether one of us had uh, had a more powerful uh, and satisfying uh, sense of 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 where the story should go or whether whether we should we needed to think of something completely new, which we did uh, which we did a number of times and. Um, it was, uh, you know, that was really exhilarating working with someone uh, who has so much experience uh, and who uh, has such a, a a vital and enormous imagination that mm. like Michael does. So um, no arguments, um, uh, a, a lot of drafts going back and forth. And then, you know, okay, me sending something off to him and getting it back immediately saying, try again. <laughs> <laughs> Which is absolutely fine because when you have a writing partner who you know, you've come to know, and you you trust uh, implicitly, then you 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 trust that their judgment uh, is correct. That um, that uh, we could we could raise our game and um, and make it even more dramatic and uh, and satisfying. Mm, mm. What about? I mean, obviously. What another difference between cinema and, and novels is cinema has these action set pieces, you know, and Heat probably has one of the most, as you say, one of the best film heists or, or aftermath of heist um, ever, you know, put to cinema. And, and this book is is packed with some great action sequences as well. I'm sort of, as a writer, well, you know, as a writer, I'm sort of, I, I find myself thinking, how the hell do you write action like that where I can see it, you know, that it feels like, uh, you know, um, it feels like a really, a really, a skill in itself. It is. And part of that is, uh, is, um, is experience that uh, I've, I have written, I had written 15 thrillers, public sure. thrillers before, before this, uh, and honestly, uh, learning how to write it on the page, uh, in part comes from watching great films and seeing how it's accomplished and understanding how to translate, uh, the, the, the visceral effect we get from watching action on, uh, on the screen to translating that to, uh, to explaining it in prose on the page, uh, on the screen you get everything. You get you get you get the view. You get the soundtrack. You get the score. You get um, it's all hitting you simultaneously, and you can't do that on uh, on the page. So number one, you have to uh, you have to make sure that that readers are already invested in the characters. That's number one. That right. they have to care about the characters, and every bit of action has to. Uh, explain, exploit, uncover, uh, or develop something about the characters under this uh, incredible stress of the of the of this you know, basically deadly conflicts. And um, you use you use prose, you use the uh, uh, the staccato sentences or sentence fragments or some way to to indicate that you're in the head of the characters who aren't calmly sitting back and you know, <laughs> you know 
having a cup of tea as they analyze the the action when they're on the street and uh, someone's uh, coming around the corner, the heat is around the corner coming for them. You have to you have to figure out how to put readers into uh, uh, the emotional frame of mind that you want that the characters are in, which is again quite exciting. I, I mean, writing. I love writing action. And when was I ever going to have a a, a more brilliant opportunity to to write action than with Michael Mann. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Manhunter, collateral, heat, uh, last of the Mohicans, uh, Ali, uh, oh everything. My God. So, yeah. P- pinch yourself. Pinch yourself. So see, make sure you're not dreaming, I think is the is is the experience that you'd have. And of course, you know, you're uh, you're directing a movie in the novel in a in a sense, and you don't have to worry about, okay, this is gonna cost so much money. You you can just like budget it's no question, you know. Okay, that's that's a, a, an extremely great point. That uh, when you're when you're uh, filming something, you you do have to be conscious of a budget because uh, if you're actually going to have uh, a, a used car lot destroyed uh, when an armored car is uh, is blown up, that's uh, you know you have to pay for all that. Uh, on the in the book, you can you can set as much of the action anywhere uh, in heat, it's set in, in, in a bank vault in Chicago and on the, the freeways of Los Angeles and, and in an abandoned uh, cartel uh, stronghold in, uh, in Mexicali, on a freighter in, uh, in, the, in the Southeast Asian waters. Uh, and you can go as big uh, and bold as you, as you want. You could bring in thousands of people. We could have, you know, this is why you can set stories in outer space. Uh, if you're writing science fiction, it doesn't cost a, doesn't cost a single thing other than uh, your time and the, uh, making sure that your imagination is as, uh, as bold as possible, which is, um, is wonderful. Yeah. I think that's one of the, the great things that heat two really stands up on its own and, and goes, goes further than, you know, in terms of comparing it with heat is that you've got a real globe trotting feel that whereas heat is Los Angeles and is, as you say, concentrated in time, this is, this has exploded out into not only time, but also other parts of the world. I love that aspect of it. Well, thank you. It meant a lot of research, but it was all <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank God for the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Yes, thank God for the internet and for books, libraries. Uh, for Michael's uh, office, which is a, which is a, a research library in itself, and for Michael Mann's uh, incredible dedication to research, which is which is legendary and uh, the legend is accurate. <laughs> he, he always feels that he wants to understand the world he's writing about so that it, uh, it, there's a kernel of authenticity there that uh, will resonate with, uh, with an audience. So, you know, I'm like, what do we, you know, I, we're gonna set this whole, you know, several sections in, in Paraguay in this, in this city. And he's like, I'll send you some stuff. So like <laughs> a minute later, 2000 photos arrive and videos that uh, he took uh, when location scouting it for, for Miami Vice. I'm like, well, we've got, uh, uh, if you're going to have a character uh, climb up the side of a tanker in, um, in this, you know, Malacca Strait, uh, I wonder, you know, how would I make that feel realistic? He goes, I'll send you some photos of me doing that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Oh my god! I hope he hasn't researched any of these bank robberies by actually carrying one out. That would be uh, that would no, be no. 
but, but? So, <laughs> okay no 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 but uh he thought we really needed to make sure we would do it the way uh, a professional would so we did have a long conversation with the bank robber about how you would uh carry out a tunnel heist oh, retired wow. let me I, I hasten to add retired served his debt to society uh and has uh, gone on to uh, to to writing and uh and and consulting but um very, uh, very happy to to talk about how he might have actually carried out uh, a tunnel. Wow, wow. Because <laughs> I was wondering about that. I was wondering when you sort of, you work out some of the, the scores that they have to do. There, There is a bit of like, right now I'm going to put my bank heist hat on and, and have a real think about it. So Well, yes. And you, again, wanted to understand how uh, someone thinks who is uh, planning to take down a score like that. And what would mm. they watch for? What would they be concerned about? What would excite them? Um, what would uh, what would scare them? Uh, what are the most uh, satisfying uh, and uh, and fearsome moments in, in any uh, anything like that? So uh, it was uh, illuminating. Wow! Wow! Brilliant! And so, what are the plans now? I mean, um, uh, is is Michael thinking of? I, I, I mean, I hear talk that this is going to be made into a, a film. That there's going to there's a, a possibility that that might happen. Would you be surprised? <laughs> I, I would. I I want to see the film. I want to. I want... <laughs> yeah, he has. He has said that he uh, he has plans to develop it into yeah. into a film. So. I mean, it could even be a really good t- uh, TV show. You know, it could be like one of those six parters or something. Mm-hmm. Be, uh, mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what uh, what uh, what he, he he's the director. So we'll yeah. see what uh, what uh, what he has in mind. Oh, that would be that would be so good. And and what's next for you, Meg? What what's what's next on your uh, on your? Plate? I have uh, another novel uh, that will be published uh, next year, which is uh, part of a series I write, a thriller series about um, an FBI profiler, young woman who hunts serial predators. Uh, that, the unsub series that will be out in twenty twenty three, and then on to uh, more thrillers and we shall see <laughs> i'm look forward to it i'm I've definitely got that i'm going to go back and read some of your earlier ones as well now thanks it's been absolutely um uh, one final question i have to ask you because this is our film podcast of course um are there any books that you've read on cinema that you'd like to recommend any film writers either uh, anyone anyone at all um well, there's uh, there's uh, uh, there are books about heat <laughs> that have been written, uh, academic uh, academic explorations of uh, of heat that are absolutely uh, fantastic and illuminating, for and just for total fun, mm. there's a uh, there's a book called uh, "The Stewardess Is Flying the Plane." Uh, by Ron Hogan, which is about uh, primarily about '70s cinema, but it is uh, just an absolute an absolute blast. And the title refers to Airport '75, where the uh, um, where, where the crew is uh, disabled, of course, and so the the stewardess is flying the plane. Uh, it's, it's you know like all great '70s uh, disaster movies, but that's uh, that's a lot of fun for uh, for film buffs. Oh, I'd love, I, I, that's a, such a good idea because I was listening to someone, I was reading on Twitter, I think, somebody, uh, one of those common complaints of like, oh, 70s cinema was so good and this will never get made anymore. And I was like, I lived in the 70s and there was a lot of, <laughs> there was a lot of tripe as well. I mean, it's just that the tripe we like nostalgically, hence Airport exactly. 75, you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> right. All those disaster movies, Poseidon Adventure and stuff. I mean, they were great, but um, but they the were towering also... inferno. I mean, come yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> my God, Richard Chamberlain, you absolute shit. <laughs> <laughs> It was such a that he became a symbol of bad behavior for me for a long time. Right. What a horrible weasel! Man. Weasel, yeah, absolutely. I always remember Steve McQueen and uh, Paul Newman having an exchange, which almost seems to mirror their their fights over the prestige in the film. Where uh, Steve uh, Paul Newman says it's my building, and Steve McQueen says it's my fire. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> who's the most? Who's the most important? Uh, exactly. <laughs> well, listen, Meg. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for this novel. I was, you know, it's one of those ideas that I, that when you first hear it, you think, oh, don't go there. Don't, don't, don't touch it. It's already so good. And then you read it and you thought, oh, I'm so glad they did. That's so. Uh, that's such a. Well, thank you. It's very gratifying to hear that, and I appreciate you having me on the podcast. Oh, I know this is going to be a popular episode because I know already a lot of my listeners have, have got their copies. So, oh, um, okay, great. great. <laughs> and it will be out in Italy <laughs> oh. shortly, by the way. Yes. Oh, when, when's it coming out in Italy? Uh, I believe uh, the end of this week. Um, oh, wow. Okay, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Well, this episode should be out either Wednesday or Friday. So my Italian listeners... If you mm-hmm. yeah read it in English, if you're my Italian listeners, if you're listening to this, you can manage to read it in English, I'm sure. <laughs> right. But if not, you can write, read it in Italian. Thank you so much, Meg. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Meg Gardner. Her recommended book is The Studess is Flying the Plane, American Films of the 1970s uh, by Ron Hogan. It's a book I haven't heard much about, so I will uh, be dipping into that as soon as I get myself a copy. All that's really left for me to do is to thank Elliot Atkins for the music, um, Ali Howard for the art, and thank you, dear listener, for, uh, for listening. Take care. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.